This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. One of the most important tools that project managers in the engineering world have is your knowledge from past projects. And your ability or your lack thereof to share that knowledge can really affect your firm. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Matt Kasberg, who's the Regional Division Manager of Community Building for the Puget Sound offices of Parametrics, a company dedicated to providing quality engineering, planning, and environmental sciences with superior client service about the role that people play in project management. We're also going to talk about this idea of lessons learned to inspire your people, because that's critical in the world of engineering. And so I had the pleasure of meeting Matt because at EMI, we did some work with Parametrics. We helped to build them a custom project management development program. And one of the steps to doing that is we interview a lot of the project managers in the company. And so I got to interview Matt and kind of he really stuck with me, a lot of the stuff that he said. So I reached back out to kind of get him on the podcast. And I just really loved how he talks so much about lessons learned and how valuable that can be in sharing those lessons across a consulting firm. And so we're going to dive into that today. And I just want to give Parametrics a quick plug. They are a great company to work with. If you're looking to work for a consulting firm out there, check out Parametrics. You can check them out at parametrics.com forward slash careers to see what opportunities that they have going on. They have offices really across the country. Pacific Northwest and beyond. So definitely check them out. I really enjoyed my time kind of working with them. I also want to quickly give a shout out to our sponsor before we dive into the episode today. Our sponsors help us to keep the show free. And our sponsor for this episode is PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure that you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, etc., Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for the FE and PE exam. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, I'm excited to welcome my guest onto the podcast for today. Matt Kasberg is Regional Division Manager of Community Building for the Puget Sound Offices of Parametrics. Matt, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. 
So good to have you here, Matt. So in your own words, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about kind of yourself and your kind of career journey to date? Yeah, so I grew up in Oregon. Uh, I went to Oregon State University. I got a geography degree in 1998. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Ended up doing some surveying and really enjoyed that. I spent the first nine years of my career in the surveying industry. I have 24 years of overall experience and then like I said, the first nine in survey, and then the last 15, I've been in the construction management industry. And then the last eight years at Parametrics, I've been the, the division manager, like you noted earlier. The surveying background in this industry can be very beneficial. I know for myself, I started in surveying. It's really helpful when you get into the office and you have some of these conversations with design professionals that you can kind of bring that that field perspective to the table, which I think is just very practical. I don't know if you've had the same experience. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of construction or a lot of surveyors, it translates well into construction management or engineering or other fields because it gives you that basis of understanding, you know, whether that's topography, providing base maps, but um, it definitely lends itself nicely to uh, the engineering field. Matt and I got the chance to meet a little while back at EMI. We were doing some work with Matt's firm, Parametrics, on helping them with their project management development program. And I got to speak with Matt and kind of interview him through that process. We're going to talk a little bit about project management today. And a lot of times, Matt, when people think about project management, you know, they think immediately about scope, schedule, budget, but they don't necessarily think about the people component or the people side of project management. So can you talk to us a little bit about the people side of project management and some of the things that you've learned about, you know, while managing people and managing projects at Parametrics? Yeah. So in my role, I have projects that I manage and I also have a division that I'm responsible for of about 75 folks. And a lot of them are managing projects. So a lot of what I do is supporting them, making sure they have the tools and resources they need in order to be successful. And I've learned that most people, most project managers want to be successful. They work very hard to manage projects successfully. And when things don't go well, there's usually a few specific reasons for that. Over the last eight years or so in my role, one of the things that I do is I approve write-offs, right? So a variance or write-off, often that's kind of what happens when a project doesn't go well is you end up losing money or, or not making as much as you'd hope. And so before I approve those write-offs, what I've asked my project managers to provide me is some lessons learned. And over the years, I plug those into a, a spreadsheet and I track those. It does a couple things. One is people don't want to end up on the spreadsheet because we kind of share that out within the team so we can learn from each other. But most importantly, we can kind of see there's trends, right? You can kind of see what was done well, why was the project successful or not? And so there's about 10 things I've learned probably number one is we underestimated the budget, right? We have a scope and maybe we didn't go out and do a field visit or we didn't really dive deep enough and we didn't put the appropriate level of effort in order to deliver on that scope. Probably the number one reason. Sometimes we have project management changes. That's avoid that at all costs. So if you have one person managing a project and let's say they leave the company, you have to replace them. And that's a pretty common occurrence where, you know, those often lead to write-offs. So try to avoid that at all costs and then make sure if it happens that you just, you have a plan in place, but there's a number of things that lead to write-offs or, or variances and such. But I've learned that there's about five things 
that you can kind of increase your focus on to kind of help avoid that. And I think number one is training. Number two is communication. Uh, you got to communicate with your clients, your teams. Obviously, that's important with most project management roles. Uh, mentorship, I found, is super critical and important. Providing oversight, mentorship, QAQC, and then just making sure our project managers have the right tools, uh, financial tracking tools, resource planning tools, some processes and procedures and guidelines that they can follow to, to have success and such. So, Those are some really important points. And I think what's interesting about that is a lot of them are like, related to one another, like training and mentoring can definitely go hand in hand. I know the program that we worked on at Parametric, we're trying to build some mentoring opportunities into the program because that's really how you know project managers learn a lot of the time. I mean, the classes can give them a lot of the fundamentals and core concepts, and then they need someone there on a regular basis that they can ask questions to about those concepts on real projects when they happen. So I think that that's really important. And you also, you mentioned tools and communication, and I think that those can also go hand in hand. I mean, I think the tools can give you the reports and the data that help you, you know, communicate better. And I think also there's communication tools, whether it's like a Teams or a Slack or depending on what your company needs. So I think those are great. And I think one of the things that Matt said there that's important is the idea of as a project manager, being able to communicate lessons learned to your team members. It sounds like, you know, you're tracking like what's working, what are some of the big influencers on write-offs, let's say, for example. And then if you have that data and you're tracking it over time and you can really see some patterns develop, then you have the ability to go and kind of do some knowledge sharing with other people on your team. I mean, Matt is overseeing quite a large number of people. So if he's able to take something from like one of the teams and share with another one of the teams, I mean, that could really, you're talking about a lot of money that could be saved there. Yeah, no, over the years, I've tracked about, I mean, that spreadsheet that I have has about 50 projects. We probably have done a thousand plus projects over the, that period of time. So that's a small number. So we do a really good job. You know, I think overall we're less than half a percent of our internal revenue is, is write-offs and variances. So we're, we're doing a really good job with that. You know, I think initially when I kind of assumed this role, we weren't doing a great job. We were doing okay. And just that little tool alone, it seems has really helped. Like you said, we learn from each other and we were able to kind of hone in on some of the things that we could focus on to kind of enhance our ability to manage projects effectively. That's one of the things that we do at EMI when we kind of work with a firm and try to build a custom program. And in that one step where we're gathering all this data, sometimes I have like 50, 75 pages of data from all the interviews and just asking people questions. And when I'm reading through it, like people from different offices, it's so obvious to me that the information, the dots just aren't getting connected, you know, like between the offices or between the managers in different regions. I mean, the training will be great, but just on top of that, just providing avenues for people to connect and best practices and lessons learned is just so important because even the same thing happens with the tools. Like you'll get all the time, like, well, I have my own spreadsheet that I developed like 10 years ago and I use it. And in fact, I have people that will tell me, well, you know, uh, Mary in this other office has this awesome spreadsheet that sometimes we take from her, we use it, you know, so like people also develop good tools that may be helpful for other people across the company. So I think that's a really important part of project management for sure in a consulting firm. So another thing, Matt, that you mentioned that I thought was important to talk about for a minute here is adversity. You're going to deal with adversity as a project manager. You specifically talked, you just gave the example, like what if someone decides to leave your firm? And I know that these days that happens a lot in consulting firms. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that specific situation. I know from talking to you offline, that's happened to you a little bit and how maybe you can deal with something like that. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, 
change is inevitable. You know, so I think the key there is we always need to be prepared for it. People are going to come and go. There's things that you can do to hopefully keep people. In my case, I want people to stay at parametrics, but, you know, opportunities come, people move, things happen. And, and so you just need to be prepared for that change, you know? And so I think there's some things you can do. Succession planning. I think succession planning isn't something you just wait to do when someone talks about retiring. That's succession planning needs to be across the board and it needs to be continuous. We need to continually be planning for change. And so succession planning provides opportunities for people to grow. It provides career development opportunities, provides mentorship mentee situations where a senior level person can bring in someone, you know, junior or middle level or what have you and introduce them to clients and, and bring them in and get project experience and such. And so I think succession planning is really, really critical in order to be able to be prepared for if someone left. Continually investing in training and career development for all staff. And then I think as supervisors and leaders, it's critical that we stay engaged. We need to have a pretty good sense of what's going on. What are our key clients? What are key projects, what's the market doing, what are the challenges people are facing as they're trying to serve our clients. So you got to stay connected to your folks. So you're just better prepared to respond if you need to. If you're coming in unaware of certain things, you're more reactive as opposed to proactive and such. You know, when that change happens, you really got to get set up and develop a plan. I call them a transition plan. So it should be a collaborative process. So the team that will be executing on that plan needs to be a part of developing it. You need to identify key clients, key client relationships. You need to have some strategies in place for communicating. Is there additional training we need? Is there modifications we need to make to our project management plan? What are the roles and responsibilities and how do those change? What are the risks? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? And what are our goals, right? And how are we gonna achieve those? So. That's all part of reacting to that change and making sure you have a plan in place and then you got to execute on it. Which honestly goes back a lot to like a project management plan, right? Kind of like similar type of thing, right? A project management plan has all the different components of your project in it, like how you're going to deal with changes, et cetera, like contract changes, et cetera. So I like the idea of a transition plan as a project manager, you know, especially when you're dealing with projects where you're talking about, you know, these are multi-million dollar projects potentially, of course. And so one change can mean a lot of money. So being prepared for that is very, very important. So one of the other things that came up when we were working with parametrics on the PM development program was, you know, people were looking for consistency, right? Consistency in terms of project management between team members and projects. And we tried to think through that, you know, how do you kind of enforce habits and some flexibility, but also be able to scale projects. So how would you say that one can kind of develop some consistency in the workplace related to project management, whether it's templates or processes, or what have you seen that works well? What we've done, you know, in our survey group, we're working on an SOP right now to kind of define some workflow processes, QAQC process and such, just provide some guidelines that people can reference. We've done the same thing in our CM group. Obviously, we develop project management plans. That's really important. And generally, you can have some smaller project management plans for smaller projects, but bigger things, right? You need to have more comprehensive and detailed plans for that. I'm a big fan of processes and procedures, but not a hard line. 
on that, right? You know, I think you got to have some guidelines, but you have to understand that project managers, projects, clients, markets, business lines, everything, there's differences across that. So at Parametrics, we're not going to have like a hard line. This is the process and the procedure for managing a project. So what you're trying to encourage is, you know, consistent habits, good practices, tools in the toolbox that people have access to that they can utilize to be able to manage their projects effectively. And and you do that with, you know, consistent training. You do that with mentorship. Like I said, you, you do that by staying engaged. We do project reviews every once in a while, some periodic project reviews where, you know, we just sit down with the project manager and just kind of go over what they're doing and making sure they have what they need to be successful and provide constructive criticism and such. So, you know, earn value tracking, I think on a lot of projects is really important. Um, so that's something I always encourage folks to do. And, and then communication that always, 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 no matter what the project is, you got to have a kickoff meeting. You know, you got to bring your team in to find roles and responsibilities, scope, budget, how are we tracking scope creep, this and that, and, and making sure that's communicated at the beginning. And you got to have those regular check-ins. I think as you do that over time and you're consistent with it, you develop habits that you can kind of translate across and provide that consistency across all projects and such. I think you do always have to recognize that project management, it's kind of a wild animal in a sense. It's not something that you can cage up. It's not going to be the same thing for every single person in every single office across your company. I think if you try to take that approach, you're going to create a lot of frustration because people need flexibility. One client does demand something different than another client. It's hard for you to have an SOP for you know every one of your 50 to 100 clients or whatever the case may be. However, you can have, as Matt said, some really like broad guidelines that people can follow or tools or templates that can be utilized and maybe tweaked a little bit here and there. Maybe you have a kickoff meeting checklist, but then it's subject to change and someone could go in there and edit it for their own client if they need to. And so I think it has to be a good blend. The other thing that I would say from my own experience is if you find yourself doing things repeatedly, that's a really good time to create some kind of an SOP around it, right? Because I mean, I feel like we do this all the time. Like, you know, I'm doing, I felt like I did this 10 times this week. Well, capture it, put it into some kind. I know we have a document at EMI that we use that we can catalog all of our SOPs. And then if I'm not there one day, if I'm out sick for a week, you know, someone could jump in and kind of follow along what I've been doing because I've going back to transition, like Matt said, something happens to someone, they leave, they're out for a week, whatever vacation, someone can kind of pick up and still kind of get a similar quality as them, even though they're not here. I mean, I think that that's how any business needs to grow. And I think it's as simple as just saying one day, I know I do this a lot. I should probably capture the steps of doing it as opposed to just keep doing it and doing it because then you never be able to delegate and teach anyone else. So I think that that's something that's real important. So you mentioned that you oversee a lot of people there in in your division, of course. But in addition to that, you're still also managing projects yourself. So you kind of have both of those things going on. So how do you, as someone who's managing projects and overseeing a a good amount of people, how do you kind of decide on where to put your energy and focus on each day? What does that look like for you? Well, this year was a very busy year for me. I ended up at one point, I was managing 11 projects. That's way too much. So I would say, just be careful that you don't overcommit. But if you do, uh, in my case, there was just the stars aligned and it all kind of played out like, you know, I got 11 projects and some other responsibilities and such. And so I probably overcommitted a bit, but I made a commitment to those projects and the role I'm currently in as the division manager and those responsibilities. So always deliver on your commitments. 
you got to step up. You got to figure it out. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Delegate. So you got to make sure you have a good team uh, that's engaged and, and ready to support you. And, and that's a two-way street, right? We got to have trust both ways. So you have that positive interaction. I think proactive planning is really important. Every day begins and ends with kind of an updated plan or to-do list for me. I usually spend about a half hour every morning before I do anything, just kind of reflecting on what happened yesterday and what are my priorities for today. I keep my calendar updated. I block out specific times so I can, specific times on my, my calendar to focus on certain critical activities and then, you know, communication with our clients and in the team and such. I'm trying to be as communicative as possible proactively with, with my clients and team and making sure that we all understand what the situation is at that point in time. I think it's really important. You know, a lot of times you get really, really busy and it's a little overwhelming and you get stressed and, but you got to maintain a positive attitude. Being positive kind of keeps yourself motivated and it keeps your team motivated and inspired. I've learned that most people don't really want to hear how busy you are right? You know, everybody's busy. So even if I'm just swamped, I try not to show it. Positive attitude. And as kind of a leader, people are looking at you in terms of your makeup and, you know, your stress levels. And I think they kind of feed off of that. So I do think that that's an important thing. And you mentioned there, you know, motivation. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about that for a minute in terms of like motivating your team members, you know, I mean, they're managing or working on projects, you know, under your supervision, they have their own careers as well, obviously that they're trying to grow. How do you motivate team members so that you know you can help them both be successful kind of in their job or role, but also like in their career? Like, how do you approach that? Well, I try to stay engaged. You know, I try to understand the challenges people are facing. I think that's really important. I have an open door policy. I, I try to encourage people to reach out. I try to reach out, but I also encourage others to, to connect with me and let me know how, how they're doing or, or what their challenges are. I'm quick to provide support. There's things that I can do to help, whether that's investing in various tools to help them be more efficient or effective or just happy and enjoying their work a little bit better. I can't always provide a solution to the challenges they're having, but I, I try to stay engaged in enough to do that. I think it's really important to be transparent. There's times where, you know, decisions are made. I think it's important to provide insight in how those decisions were made in most cases, right? You know, make sure people understand why we're setting certain goals and why we're setting certain strategies to achieve those goals and such. So I think transparency is important. Um, providing career and growth opportunities for folks, that succession planning and that mentorship, I think people in, enjoy that and appreciate that that positive attitude, that passion for what you're doing, I think is something that inspires folks. And then you got to take time to recognize and appreciate people, right? You know, whether that's a bonus or a reward or just an acknowledgement, but people generally appreciate you knowing and recognizing what they're doing. So I think that's really important that you take the time to do that. And then we got to have some fun, right? You know, whether that's at work, on jobs or outside of work, it's providing opportunities for people to come together and socialize and connect and relax every once in a while and take it all in. Yeah, lots of good stuff there. And again, just goes to show you how much is involved with managing and leading a team quite a bit. So one last question that I have for you in this segment here, Matt, it's just about project management in general. What would you say is like one of the, the most valuable lessons that you've learned in project management that you really try to apply on your projects if you have something that pops out for you? I'll just go back to the kickoff meeting. 
always, always, always have a kickoff meeting. And then, you know, that communication throughout, you know, it all kind of starts and ends with communication on projects, in my opinion. There's a lot of things you can fix just by being a good communicator. So you got to have that kickoff meeting, set expectations, and then regular check-ins throughout. It's probably the number one thing for me. Yeah, I think the kickoff meeting on your projects is so important. And unfortunately, it does kind of sometimes fall by the wayside. Or you might have a kickoff meeting, but the right people may not be in the meeting, which is kind of some of the stuff that we cover in the, in the parametrics training program. Because, you know, if you don't have the right people in the meeting, then it defeats the purpose of trying to communicate effectively. You know, you got to think through it as a project manager. And sometimes there's multiple kickoff meetings. You might have one internally, you might have one externally if it's a very large project. But that is your opportunity to kick the meeting off on the right foot get everyone going in the right direction and set the client expectation, which is critical, like understanding their expectations so you can manage to those expectations throughout the project. Because without that, you're going to have a, a client that may not necessarily be happy. And that's for a consulting firm, you know, your client satisfaction is, is super critical. So, all right, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back with Matt. We'll finish up on the civil engineering hot seat. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right, I'm back with Matt Kasberg, who is the Regional Division Manager of Community Building for the Puget Sound Offices of Parametrics. And now it's time for our civil engineering hot seat. All right, Matt, so first question for you. Do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do regularly that contributes to your success? Yeah, every day starts with a cup of coffee and a to-do list. That's pretty common. I'll, I'll start the day, I get my coffee. And then I sit down and I reflect and think about what's the day hold. And I prioritize that. And, and that is every day and has been for 15 years. All right. Is there a book, because not to be a book, could be an author, could be a concept, could be a strategy that you consumed at some point in your career and it kind of stuck with you and you've used the process or something from it? My dad was a basketball coach. So I kind of grew up in that. And a, a lot of what I applied to my leadership is kind of from my experience in, in basketball and, and being around a lot of coaches and such. And so there was a book Coach Wooden wrote, and I think it was like the 12 lessons to live. It? It's it? like a triangle though, right? It's like the 12 lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great book. Coach Wooden. Yeah, it's good stuff. That kind of stuck with you. Yes. I think there are a lot of parallels between like sports and business for sure. And I think that, I mean, I read a lot of books by coaches too, because I think a lot of the frameworks and the strategies and the processes that they put in place in sports can also something that we can build on, you know, in terms of, I mean, we talked about it earlier, building good habits, right? And that's a, a lot of times what athletic coaches are trying to get their athletes to do is build good habits over and over. Thinking back on your managers of the past, right? And I'm not asking you to name any names here, but if you just think about some of your favorite managers, what were their characteristics? We're just trying to understand like some of the characteristics of really good managers in the AEC world. Man, I've had some really good managers, been really lucky. The best managers and my favorite managers were advocates for me. I think they believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so they always pushed me maybe outside my comfort zone a little bit. And then they were always an advocate for opportunities for myself. You know, they look for little uh, growth opportunities for me and, and such. So that's kind of been the common theme. I, I wouldn't have the job I have today if it wasn't for the person that had the job I have prior to me believing in, in me and, and actually approaching me about this. And at that point, I was like, man, I'm not ready for this. And she was like, no, I think you are. 
uh, you'll figure it out. And then talking to my wife, she's like, yeah, let's figure this out. You should run this opportunity. And so that's always been pretty cool. But I, I've had a number of those types of things where the person that I, my manager was kind of looking out for me and pushing me a little bit. Believing in so you. So that advocate, basically. right? Yeah, I think that's everything. And by the way, we'll put a link in the show notes to the book, but the book's called um, Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success, Building Blocks for a Better Life. It's a, it's a really good book, and it's something that you can kind of follow, which I like as an engineer, like a framework, so to speak, to follow. So one final question here for you, Matt. We call this the critical uh, career elevator advice question. So if you were to get into an elevator with, let's say, like an up-and-coming professional in the AEC industry... And you had about 30, 40 seconds with him or her, you know, based on your career to date, you know, maybe this is someone that wants to go in to become a project manager in a firm and, and kind of grow. What advice would you share with that person in that short period of time? All right. Well, I think number one, relationships are key and critical, right? So really hone in on those relationships, whether it's with your coworkers, your clients, your family, your friends, just your overall network, build meaningful relationships. Number two would be set goals. Have goals for yourself. Have a strategy to achieve those. Track those goals. Have long-term, short-term goals. But you need to be goal-oriented. And then I think lastly would be don't chase the money. Chase the experience. Build the foundation. I kind of think of it as if you're building your career with building blocks. You don't want to stack blocks on top of each other up and not have a good foundation. You want to build a nice, solid foundation at the base you know, a nice array of experiences and then kind of work your way up. So when you get to the top or, you know, you move up in your career, it's not going to fall over. You have a good basis um, that you can kind of lean on. And I think if you do that over time, you know, the money takes care of itself and such. You know, I think sometimes people are, especially right out of college, I was, it was like, hey, where's my job? I want to get paid. But I think I've learned that that's less important, at least early on, building that foundation. Remembering that your career is, you know, it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. And the stuff that you're doing every day is kind of setting you up for the long term. That's really important. I think the, the point on goals is critical. I mean, it's great for you to be goal oriented. And as you grow and as you manage a team of people, make sure that they're kind of goal oriented and that people have goals they're kind of striving to. I mean, I think if people don't have goals, like they're not as excited, you know, when they show up to work each day because they kind of don't know like what they're working towards. So it's a really good good way to help get that done. So Matt, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. A lot of the kind of project management strategies that I think you offered up are going to be really beneficial to our listeners. So thank you so much for taking some time. Absolutely. Thank you. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt. I really mean it when I say that the idea of knowledge sharing is probably the biggest fail for consulting firms today. When we get to do these custom project management programs, we see all the interesting information across different offices in firms. And if you can really build a program or build some tools that can help to pass that knowledge across the company, it's a game changer. I mean, I'm talking it could be a lot, a lot of money that you're saving or making each year because of that please consider how you can do better knowledge sharing with your project managers across your firm. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And if you're interested in maybe talking a little bit about having EMI help you build a custom project management development program for your firm, give us a call at 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Or just go to our website, Institute. 
org and click the Contact Us button. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.